0: having Sikhi um, and having the power of Gurbani and just this identity will propel you so much further actually in all of those um, careers and and all of those goals.
1: You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest and inspiring stories no armor pretense or sugarcoating.
2: welcome to the experience equity podcast i'm Prabhjot Kaur and i'm Gurleen Kaur we begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on aboriginal land that has been inhabited by indigenous peoples from the beginning as settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and Huron-Wendat.
1: Also, just some reminders. If you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at com. Our guest today is Rominder She is a board-certified OBGYN who is currently completing her final year of, of an MFM fellowship. She is also pursuing a master's degree in clinical and transitional research. She has taken quite a long journey to get where she is at her career. In today's podcast, we'll talk to her about that journey, the challenges she's faced, and how Sikhi played a role in her path. This is definitely a podcast that you'll want to listen to, especially if you're interested in the medical field. So here's Raminder Kaur. Welcome, Fanji. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Uh, just to start off, how are you doing today?
2: Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Thanks for being on the podcast. We're really excited. Uh-huh. I'm excited. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh.
1: So can you start off uh, with telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: Absolutely. So... Um, I was born and brought up in the U.S., so spent most of my life. I was born in uh, Savannah, Georgia, spent most of my life in Florida, um, went to undergrad in Florida, then pursued medical education um, overseas. I did residency in Michigan and currently um, in OBGYN, and right now I'm doing my fellowship in high-risk maternal fetal medicine. Um Outside of medicine, I'm very creative. I love doing stuff with, like, my hands, uh, you know, like baking, creative stuff, just uh, DIY projects, that sort of thing. Um, recently got married, and I have two younger sisters.
2: Awesome. Mm-hmm. And so how long did you live in Georgia?
0: A, a very short period of time, probably, like, a year and a half or so. My oh, parents, so Nothing yeah, that you
2: remember? No, nothing
0: okay. that I remember at all. So. Okay.
2: And then what area of Florida?
0: Um, South Florida. So we are about, we're right smack in the middle of Miami and Orlando. So prime uh, spot for like when Sungut wants to come. It's like a nice landing spot to, you know, for, for they go off and do tourism. But we're about two hours north of Miami, two hours south of Orlando.
2: Oh, okay. What is it called? Jupiter. Jupiter. Oh, cool. (laughs) Like the planet. I've heard of, (laughs) I've heard of Jupiter. Yep. Yeah, there was a show I was watching and some guy was from Jupiter. (laughs) That's a big change to move from Florida to then where you're at now, Connecticut, because the weather. I had never seen
0: snow. So (laughs) I had never, ever, ever seen snow until I moved to Michigan for residency. And then it was like, boom, you know, like a whole lot of it. Michigan gets very, very cold. So.
2: Oh, my God. uh, Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) I was talking to a friend last night and she's from BC and she, even there, it doesn't snow much. And Mm -hmm. so there's no. Um, There's no system for, like, who's going to come clean the roads when it snows. And I saw a video online of people shoveling the snow with a chair because they don't have shovels. Yes,
0: I saw that same one totally unprepared. And so, yeah, that was life in Florida. So, like, it was always very, very warm. And so, like, the temperatures would drop to the 40s and 50s, and that was very exciting. You know, people would pull out (laughs) their Uggs. They'd pull out their winter coats, and they're like, all right, winter's here. Oh, my God. So, but now you're like, oh, that's that's nothing. That's, like, (laughs) summer practically. So, Oh, my God. Do you like it, though, living with four seasons i do i yeah. love it i wouldn't uh i wouldn't trade it i, I love seeing that transition and so it's, it's
2: so you don't see yourself going back to florida probably for anything. not probably yeah. not. <laughs> all right um let's talk about um tiki when you were growing um, up tiki. in florida what was that like
0: uh so i mean there's not a lot of six in florida mm-hmm. um so in my town of jupiter um my family are basically we are the only six so um I have two Masia that also live in Jupiter. And then later on, my Buaji moved there, too. So mm-hmm. that that's, that was a sick population. Wow. So we used to drive about an hour and a half to our nearest Gortwara. Um And my parents were super involved growing up. So, like... Um, Fridays would come around, and, you know, we'd all pack up if there was, like, an akarn part going on at Gurdwara, and we would be at the Gurdwara the entire, you know, weekend.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, But because of that, and just because my parents believe so much that Sikhi starts at home, mm-hmm. we did a lot at home. So we had marajis Prakash at home, so we would all get together, like, in the evening and do, like, you know, raras and arti and kirtan and that sort of thing mm-hmm. Um at home just because we didn't have that sangat so accessible to us. Mm-hmm. So our parents tried to create that atmosphere at home.
1: So how did you go about growing your six sanghith around you?
0: outside of your home? Uh, it was very challenging, I would say. I mean, when we did go to Gordwara, like, you know, um, we had some friends at Gordwara and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, when we were younger, my parents later got very busy with work, but late, when we were younger, we would go to, like, some local samalgams and that sort of thing. We didn't do youth camps. My parents were, like, very protective because the story that a lot of parents would tell in Florida were, like, oh, but just if you know like boyfriends girlfriends that sort of mm-hmm. thing yeah my parents weren't about that at all mm-hmm. so actually we didn't like go to any camps until um until the like I was in high school and and that first camp was a Borusev camp um in India so that's oh first your first camp. camp was in India and first wow. camp was in India so. wow what was that like <laughs> It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, it felt like heaven on earth is how I would describe it. Very peaceful. Um, Learned a lot. Uh, my parents taught us how to read Gurbani at home. Um, mm-hmm. My dad, you know, went into the strict Indian teacher, like, role, danda and all. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, and taught us how to read Gurbani and like, uh, you know, Gurmaki Lipi at least in a week, and then they would challenge us to be like, okay, Jabji Hon Sikhana, Hon Jab Karo, Kirtan, Karo, kare. But going to Budapest, that was like a whole nother level. They were like, okay, you're going to read Hokum part, You know, <laughs> you know uh, you're going to do a Saj part. And you're just like, oh my God, just like pushing you out of your comfort zone.
2: So, um, so that funny. was a lot of fun. Yeah. I can like, some young kids, they have, you know, sometimes an identity crisis or um, it doesn't sound like your parents ever forced you. But did you ever... Feel like maybe this is not what you wanted, or was this always something that you were connected with? Uh, it was definitely something
0: that, um, it was around us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our parents definitely encouraged us to go down this path, but I think it was an evolution, um, you know, for ourselves and a lot of self-development for ourselves. I don't think they ever expected yeah. that I would wear a dastar. I know when I was first talking to them about wearing a dastar, I know they were a little uncertain. They never said bin or anything like that, but they were just kind of like, how do we do this? We've never seen any girls like in our sangat, you know, wearing a dastar. How are we going to support this? And then, you know, the classic questions of, ho-juga, you know, like yes. all of that kind of yeah. stuff. But I, Hujugi, I've even had like some people tell me that he may not be marketable in an interview, you know, like people might be like, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, But they were definitely very encouraging and just, you know, and there was a, a lot of other life events, I think, that kind of propelled me to kind of learn more about Sikhi and our roots. And mm-hmm. sometimes, surprisingly, that wasn't from the Sikh community. There was a strong Muslim community where I lived, mm-hmm. um, especially in high school. And I used to see like gym You know, like, mm-hmm. we're not wearing this, we're going to dress like this, you mm-hmm. know, and I just feel like this is amazing, you know, and, um, we had nine eleven happen in the U.S., and that was definitely a turning point where it's like, okay, we got to do pachara, guys, because at this point, it's survival, you know, like, people are being targeted for, like, wearing the sara on their heads, people don't know, there's a mistaken identity, um, so like these type of events and and I remember very clearly one time we went to uh, like a day camp at our local Gurdwara and there was like a Prajadik there and he was just talking so much about like how like if you see a sing Onadi Pajan who is in the you know. I was like like a you know, like we're cores, we have an identity, we have so much that we've, you know, sacrifices for the plant yes so all of these kind of things i think started this internal journey like okay i gotta i gotta know my roots i gotta do this for myself you know yeah so yeah
2: that takes a lot of like you know you it seems like you have a lot of security in yourself and who you are because growing up like for me i grew up here in toronto with the stars around me all the time and even here we hear the same thing is Mm -hmm. um not from my parents but a lot of other parents say you know, you won't get married. How are you mm-hmm. going to get a job if you are this thought and stuff? And I remember feeling insecure, but it seems like, you know, that takes a lot of, um, focus mm-hmm. to just focus on what your goal is, even with all the distractions that are around you. So that's really cool yeah. that you are able to do that. Yeah. All right. Um, so switching gears a little bit, uh, talking about the OBGYN stuff and mm-hmm. your MFM, uh, can you talk about that? Because people probably don't yeah. know what those things mean. What is an OB-GYN? Mm-hmm. How do you become an OB-GYN, and what made you want to be that? Absolutely.
0: So um, OB-GYN stands for Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, in the U.S., it's a four-year residency. I know in Canada, I think it's five. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, this involves taking care of women, Um girls from, like, adolescence to, like, the rest of their life, like, through menopause, through, like, old, you know, old age, any concerns that an older woman might have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a surgical specialty. So, you know, we do C-sections. We do any surgeries involving, like, the uterus, the ovaries, the cervix, any, like, female reproductive organs. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of patients in clinic um, and, of course, deliver babies on, like, labor and delivery um, as well. Um, so a wide breadth of medicine. Um, So typically you apply into that after um, completing medical school. Mm -hmm. Some people after that, they take their board exams and then they go into like practice. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can go into subspecialty training as well, which is what I chose to do, which is maternal fetal medicine. So um, this is managing high-risk pregnancies. And these pregnancies are high risk because either the mother has a lot of medical problems that make her, you know, pregnancy, not as smooth or as normal or as easy as some other women, um, or the baby might have some problems, maybe might have some malformations, or uh, might be really small, or because of all of the problems that the mother has, the baby may be affected. So, keeping an eye on both of those,
1: mm.
0: yeah.
2: So, what made you want to do that?
0: Um, so I so, again, a huge proponent of, like, women's rights, um, and I think out of that came, like, women's health. So, um, you know, I wanted to be an advocate for women, taking care of women throughout their entire, like, breadth of their life, and... Um, I, you know, when I went into medical school, I was kind of like, okay, but I can maybe do that in like cardiology and I'll like have a special like focus on like, you know, women's heart health and that sort of thing. Um, but my sister actually had a high risk pregnancy. She had twins and I saw her going through it. Um, and that like inspired me right off the bat. I was like, I want to do maternal fetal medicine. I don't know how to get there, but that's, that's what I want to do. And then kind of explored the entire path from there. Mm
1: -hmm. So, um, what's the journey of, becoming an OBGYN, like what schooling did you have to do? Yeah.
0: So, um, so undergraduate, um, studies, and then after completing that, um, medical school, um, so medical school is about four years or so. And then after that, so then that's where like in the U S and I think there's similar, um, programs in Canada as well, you would apply to residency. Um, and then it's kind of a random computerized system. So you go off, you interview at different places, they make a list of, you know, their top candidates, you make a list of your top programs that you enjoyed interviewing at. And then through this algorithm, they all kind of, um, match you and you end up, it's called the match. So then you end up matching at a certain residency program. Um, and then you're there for like about four years. Um, and yeah, so that's basically, you know, and in that process, you know, getting ready for that, you're writing personal statements, you're, you know, going on a lot of interviews and, and that sort of thing. So So becoming a doctor was always a goal for you, even as a young child. I was very intrigued. Um, So my dad is a veterinarian. So and yeah, so we had a we had a family business, and with any family business, like you're on the front lines, you're involved, right? Mm -hmm. So we would go there, like on the weekends, particularly. We would help, like clean the kennels and like you know work in the front in the reception area. Uh, We got to go back and like the you know when he was doing surgery, even assist with surgery and that sort of thing. So it was very hands on. So I was very intrigued by all of that that just seemed very, very cool. Um, for the longest time, I thought I wanted to be a, a veterinarian. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was more of a, like, you know how you have, like, old parents, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, let's further it. So, yeah. um, so, and, you know, my dad sat me down. He's like, are you sure this is what you want? You know, right. like, I'm going to be okay. This is my business. Like, I'm going to handle it. Like, don't do this because you think, like, oh, it's your responsibility or something like that. So... Mm-hmm. But, like, we went to, um, our high schools and middle schools offered, like, they're called pre-med magnets. Uh, is there something similar in Canada? I'm not sure if there's, like, no,
2: not
1: that okay, I yeah, not that I'm okay. We have so, co-op, okay, In high school.
0: So they try to get, like, kids, um, you know, if you're interested in a certain thing, like, um, you know, if you're interested in medicine or engineering, they kind of have like a class, one or two classes where they'll try to bring you in and try to give you exposure at an early um, age. So like in high school, we went to like nursing homes and got to go to hospice pretty early on and, you know, hospitals as well and mm-hmm. kind of just dab a little bit into medicine and kind of explore it. Um, and then... When I graduated high school, I think I was kind of going through that, like, what do I really want to do? Like, I put a lot of pressure on myself, like, I got to figure it out right now. Like, um, and then eventually figured out that no, it wasn't veterinary medicine that I actually really loved, you know, working with humans and, you know, that in medicine in general. So
2: it's awesome. Yeah. And your dad, so what year did your parents, or, or did they grow up in the U.S., or they immigrated? No, they they immigrated. So okay. they came in the
0: 1980s, and um, that's how they landed in Georgia. Um, okay. My mom, Stachiji, was a professor there. So, but they, uh, just like that classic immigrant story, came with, like, $20 in your pocket and yeah. just, like, a huge dream. Um, so that's how they uh, landed in Georgia. Um, and then my dad um, tried to figure out, somebody, like, mentored him and said, you know this isn't gonna there's not a lot of veterinary work in georgia why don't you go and see like the surrounding states and that sort of thing which is how they ended up um in florida um,
2: okay so he was a veterinarian from india okay cool. Yeah. never
1: that's so unique yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I've never heard anything like this before. Oh, okay. yeah. We need
1: to get him on here
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we need your dad on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, he was my
0: inspiration because, uh, you know, he we very Gora town, right? Like a lot, like he was like the only Sardar, so I told you guys, like we were the only sick family and to, to be brown or even black was kind of a different thing in that mm-hmm. town and he uh, went to work with, uh, like, his daughter, Prakash, every single day, mm-hmm. you know. And so that was inspirational. If he can do it, like, I, I can do this too, you know.
2: So it's yeah. definitely That's huge. Mm-hmm. Like, right now, I work in Oshawa just two days a week and live here in Brampton. And mm-hmm. Oshawa is a very white city. And mm-hmm. um, whenever I go there, and uh, I know I shouldn't, and everybody's advice is always, prompted, why do you think like that? But mm-hmm. I always fear, feel inferior mm-hmm. when I go there to... Mm-hmm. A white person and I don't know why because I'm like I grew up in Canada I i born and brought up here I'm educated the same way they are I'm mm-hmm. you know I, I'm proud of myself where mm-hmm. I am in my career why do I feel inferior right. around white people and I don't know I don't know why that is I'm still trying to figure out why that is mm-hmm. maybe you know why I don't know um But that's, that's huge to, you know, for your parents to live in a populated in a city where there's a Mm -hmm. lot of white people, them being the only brown people. Again, it comes back to like being very secure in who you are to Mm -hmm. not feel inferior to somebody else just because of the color of their skin. Absolutely.
0: And I think, you know, my parents saw that. I think there were times when, you know, like, they may have seen that in us too like you know like oh are you guys backing up because you feel like you know you're brown you can't do this or you know so they used to have those conversations with us you know like don't be afraid you know like you guys are smart you guys can do this like just try you know mm-hmm. so and you're because you're right I have felt that I have experienced that and I mean even occasionally to this day mm-hmm. like you know it's been so long I've you know worked in this, you know, even in medicine for a while, but sometimes like when you're the only brown person at a meeting and especially wearing at the star, you know, you're wondering, what are they thinking? Yeah. You know, do I have a right to sit here? And you absolutely do. And I mean, I think like when those thoughts come, it's like, okay, eject, get those out. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. So, yeah. You can't let yourself yeah, go down that absolutely. hole. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, the other question that a lot of people have when like talking to OBGYN mm-hmm. is, Should I be getting a midwife? What's the difference between an OBGYN and a midwife? Yeah.
0: So midwives are fantastic and I had, you know, it's a unique privilege to be able to work with them as well. So like in residency, um, we worked with a midwife practice, um, uh, very closely and, you know, they were very much involved in my, um, you know, residency education as well. Um, midwives are great for low risk, um, pregnancies. So if, you know, a woman doesn't have any medical problems, there's nothing going on with the baby or anything like that. They are absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, their approach can be a little bit hands off, um, you know, in terms of letting labor progress, giving a little bit more time, being a little bit more patient. But that being said, there's a lot of doctors that, who also do that. And I think that style varies whether like if you're in private practice as a physician versus like if you're at an institution where there's somebody in-house 24 hours a day. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. sometimes when someone's in private practice, they want to hurry up and deliver the baby so that they can go home and sleep because they have another full day of clinic and working the next day. Right. Um, but when and those factors are eliminated. I think there are certain patients that are very good for the low risk like midwife group, but if you have like more complications um, or if any complications are developed during the pregnancy, then I think those are best managed by the physician. Um, if a woman is being seen by a midwife and through her labor she needs a C-section or um, something is not going as normally as it should during the labor course, then they usually do consult with the physician and then the physician takes over the care at that point so
2: cool yeah awesome um so my next question was going to be about the schooling because mm-hmm. I, I studied science as well. And when I started my undergrad, I thought I wanted to be a dentist and uh-huh. I didn't like it, but I also was like, this seems really hard. There's so many years <laughs> of dental school and it's such a challenging path to mm-hmm. want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. So what advice, like what was schooling like for you and what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe pers- wanting to pursue this path or is already on this path? Yeah, if if this is what you want to do... Just stay focused and stay
0: hard and just keep going. I mean, did I love every single course that I took? Absolutely not. Especially like undergrad physics and that sort of thing. Oh god, I hated yeah. those classes. Oh my gosh, sixty-five percent <laughs> undergrad physics. <laughs> yeah, so
1: was my as
0: well. <laughs> Yeah, I hated that, and I was like, I can't believe this is a prereq, you know. And and same with like calculus and that sort of thing. But I think I would just you know like okay, got to suck it up, got to suck. up because this is what I have to do to get to the end goal Mm -hmm. so I think that's what's most important to remember like you know keeping focus of okay why am I doing this remembering your why you know and like okay along the way there may have there may be things that you know I'm not enjoying but at the end of the day what is the ultimate goal and I think that ultimately helps you kind of get to the end.
1: And also when thinking about schooling, like there's, you can go to med school in America, Canada, yeah. UK, and the Caribbean. Yeah. So how do you go about deciding where to go? Mm-hmm. What? What are the requirements
0: to get in at different places? Absolutely. So I actually trained in the Caribbean. And that was not a well-informed decision. That was kind of like, oh, flane de you know, you know, you should do it too. Because I think our parents are also about keeping us on a timeline, you mm-hmm. know, like, hurry up, what's the next step, what's the next step, and that yeah. sort of thing. So we would uh, go to the gordura flana's kid went to India, flana's kid went to the Caribbean, they're doing great. And that sort of thing. So that's how I kind of ended up um, doing that as well. I didn't apply to any. Like I didn't take the MCAT. It wasn't a requirement for the Caribbean school that somebody told me that was you know wonderful. Um, Didn't apply to any schools in the U.S. If I went back and or I gave anybody that advice, I would say if you're Canadian apply to medical school in Canada first. If you're, you know, from the U.S., apply in the U.S. first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because coming back, what I didn't know is how challenging it is to obtain a residency. So, mm-hmm. and that is um, something that people should definitely consider. Um, I mean, even if you live in Canada, we have some people in Detroit who are, you know, are from Canada and go to uh, medical school in the U.S., and I think these are better options because of a way of securing residency. So. Mm, Yeah.
2: Can you talk about residency a little bit? What was your residency like? And what was it like... well, so far on the podcast, we've tried uh-huh. to, you know, use this uh, like one of the goals of the podcast is to show people that, you know, there is no real balance mm-hmm. between Sikhi and your work, Sikhi and mm-hmm. your residency, Sikhi and your school. It's Sikhi and then everything else around it. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't, you, you you know, our ultimate goal is to not have to balance Sikhi with anything. It should be mm-hmm. Sikhi in the middle and everything around it. Absolutely. What was that like for you? Keeping Sikhi at the center while still working your residency, mm-hmm. things like that.
0: It was challenging. It was very challenging. Um, so I think getting to residency. So residency for us as a surgical specialty, we used to be in the hospital at 5.30 in the morning or 6 a.m. Technically, you're supposed to have like duty hours where you're not supposed to exceed 80 hours a week, but that a lot of times was on paper. Like I remember when I first started my intern year, I would actually log what my real hours were and they were coming out over a hundred hours in the hospital. And so, like, the program coordinator, I was like, um, are you in really, like, in the hospital these many hours? Because if you are, we need to do something about it. But there is no, we need to, you know, there is no solution. So mm-hmm. then people just start not logging what their real hours are. They start logging the actual times that they're supposed to be there. Right. So. You know, we get there that early in the morning and then, and some, you know, when we were on different services, just depending on what rotation we were on, wouldn't leave the hospital until like nine o'clock at night sometimes. So, and then by then you're just you know, there was a meme I saw one time. It's like, do I shower? Do I eat in the shower? Or do I sleep? You know, (laughs) like, what am I doing when I get home? Right. Like, and sometimes, yeah, you just you just go to bed, you know, like, you don't do anything else. So it was exhausting. And like, I had always been someone up to that point where I felt the beautiful effects of doing Nithinim in the morning before going to work. And Mm -hmm. then, but at that point, just the exhaustion and not having enough time in the morning. It was like speed Nithanim of, okay, let me try to hurry up and get my job sub down here. And then in between, between cases, I'll do my job sub Mm -hmm. and like that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I felt exactly what you said, like Sikhi should be the center. Like, why am I struggling to like keep up with my nithnim? you know? Mm -hmm. But I remember having that conversation with my dad and he was just like, do your best, you know, try to do your best. And so And so that's what I did and, you know, like, you know, it got better during certain times and certain times it was like that. But I think, and now it's at a better place, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a fellowship isn't as um, stressful as residency, but definitely, um, you know, uh, it was a challenge. Mm -hmm. But wearing the thought, I think, and being at work, there's just even if you feel like you can't do your name or do as much simran or attend as many kirtan programs as you would like to like this is like a in-your-face reminder like all the time you know because people are seeing you and reminding you and you know so it's a you're still practicing those core the key values you know
1: yeah. Were there other six in your residency or other six Sunday that you were looking to keep while you
0: were in residency? There was, so there was no six in my residency. Um, there was like an attending, a Punjabi sick attending, so that was um, kind of nice, but attending level, residency level, you know, resident level, very different. Um, but in Michigan, there was a strong, there's a quite a bit of sangot, um, which is really nice the issue would be trying to get to those programs though but you know i really respect them and appreciate them for just you know they'd send a text message like oh there's a kirtan program tonight i'm not sure if you're making it or you know if you're going to be working but just wanted to let you know you know and so that was really nice just to try to keep
2: um keep me involved too and uh, so definitely appreciated that and then you also mentioned you were a chief resident and oh, the Hippocr- Hippocrates Award. Oh, what was that? Like, what is that award, and what does it mean to be the chief resident? As sure. Well? So, um...
0: In the chief resident in OBGYN residency is in the last year of training, basically, like all of the attendings, some programs do it differently. In some programs, the residents, all the other residents will vote on who the chief resident should be. Um, At our program, it was all of the attendings used to get together from year to year and decide who that would be. Um, So, groupers Prasad it was a blessing to be, you know, nominated for that, to be chief resident. And that's kind of being the head honcho our program was a 16 there were 16 residents so other 15 other people so if there's any issues that the residents had they would bring them to you if the attendings needed a way to get like a certain message out, you know, so you're kind of like the the middle person, mm-hmm. uh, which can kind of be sticky sometimes. Cause you know, the residents might feel like you're not fairly advocating for them or, you know, you're just trying to balance and keep people happier and be fair. Um, so that was kind of what that was. Um, and just being a spokesperson and just, uh, kind of in, in charge of that. Um, the Hippocrates award, um, got during residency in my last year as well and that was just kind of based off of like I think they gave it to a resident based off of like bedside manner and like you know how you deal with patients and that sort of thing so
2: yeah that was um, a very nice honor. Awesome. To have, yeah. Is that something that comes naturally for you?
0: No I think we're blessed that we have um Gurbani you know to like teach us like about they and just kindness and just like you know if you're going to do something how to do something with your whole heart and just to be disciplined and so it comes like people who don't have these tools when they see somebody else displaying them I you know almost a little bit like cheating because we're so lucky that we have Gurbani that teaches us all these things it comes as a major you know like oh this is so great that this person is doing these things, but mm-hmm. I think it's something that definitely worked towards with uh, the Discordani and stuff. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Right now, you're also in your final year of your specialization in maternal fetal medicine. Could you tell us about that?
0: Yeah. So um, it's a three-year fellowship. So I'm doing this out in Connecticut. So um, a lot of it has been based off of like critical care um, obstetrics, managing those high risk cases, like in labor and delivery, also in the ultrasound unit. So learning how to um, scan, um, you know, babies and trying to look for all of, you know, the different abnormalities It's much more than a 3D picture. Everybody thinks of like getting an ultrasound and they think of like a 3D picture, but just kind of learning how to discover those anomalies and that sort of thing. Um, fellowship is also, we are required to do a research, research while in fellowship, we have to present a thesis project, um, when we graduate, um, as well. So that's a huge part, um, in trying to like learn how to set up a research project and approaching like the IRB and trying to recruit patients and, um, that sort of thing. So that's basically it, and then at the end we take like a, a board exam, um, another board exam. So uh, once we're done with the program,
1: so then you're officially done school, and then I'm officially done with school. <laughs> Unless you decide to go back and do something. Oh, else.
2: I know, I know. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. That's okay. enough. Yeah. Because looking at your resume and everything you've done, I thought maybe she just likes being a student. Oh no. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Part okay. of like I said, no. Like no pain, no
0: gain. Right. Like yeah. the end goal was to get to maternal fetal medicine so all those things along the way yeah a lot of things had to be put on the you know the back burner in life but Mm -hmm. that was the ultimate goal to get there so definitely ready to not be a student anymore yeah so after your
1: fellowship like what's the next stage
0: so um i did apply for a job um and i have i've already signed a contract so i'll be finishing my um fellowship program in June, and then I'll be starting my next job in September. So I'll have a couple of months just to, you know, relax and, you know, just kind of settle into the next phase of my life. But I'll be like an attending uh, MFM
2: doctor. That's so cool. Right. I know. I need to real, like live real life. <laughs> like I, this is something I always tell like uh, younger people who are in high school. I'm like, you know, you don't have to know exactly where you want to end up at, uh-huh. the, at like what 17 years old. And it's mm-hmm. okay because when you're in university for some people, it is like from the very beginning, they want to do something and they, they get there. But for a lot of people, it's, um, they change their mind like a thousand times just in their undergrad, right. which is why I think it's so funny that when you're in grade 12, you're you you're required you're to decide the rest, the rest of your of life. Your life. Yeah. Yeah. But you are living proof that, you know, if you set your mind to something, like for some people, it does work out and yeah. they end up exactly where they plan to, yeah. right? And it doesn't have to be like that for everybody. And if yeah. it's not for you, it's okay. But absolutely.
0: And so many people take detours. And I think like I've been involved in like the interview process on the other end now interviewing OBGYN residents when they're seeking, you mm-hmm. know, residencies. And actually, like, it's very rare that a person is going from undergrad to medical school. Mm-hmm. There are people who are stopping and in the middle like they're finishing undergrad they're going overseas they're doing like service work um they're doing like research they're doing like lab work um th- people have other careers you know even mm-hmm. I was impressed to see that and they'll like involved in that career and then figure out like later on like oh that not exactly what their passion was and then find medicine later on. So, you know, there's no set timeline like as you said, everybody, you know, it's a, it's a process of self-discovery.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, in Europe they have this um they call it a gap year. So once uh-huh. you're done high school, you can take a year off nice. before you go to university or college. Uh-huh. But in North America, it's unheard of. Like right. it's very, if you told your parents, I'm going to take a year off, they're going to be like, to do what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Discover myself. Yeah. Discover what? what? I know.
0: <laughs> Come cuddle, discover yourself that way. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. So would you, like, what would your advice be to someone that's not sure if they want to pursue medicine?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, absorbing and just putting yourself out there I think gaining that experience and being in those settings so um you know go to a hospital volunteer find doctors in your community ask them if you can shadow them and kind of get an idea you know a day in the life and kind of figure out even do it for a week sometimes you can't get a snapshot in like a day just see like oh is this something that you know interests you or not um and you know that's that's what I would say just kind of you know get kind of get go out there and like like in school put yourself in different types of classes. They don't all have to be science classes. Like you know, put yourself in like arts and you know, think about what other things that you might like and kind of try to feel it out. Like there's time. You're going to be doing this for the rest of your life. So, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Um so we know that you recently married. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um could you talk about what that has what sort of impact that's had on your career um mm-hmm. i know that your husband's in a different state than yeah. you
0: yeah so it's been, um, so marriage is a blessing for sure. There's, um, you know, a lot of growth potential. You push each other to kind of be like your best self. Um, we have been traveling a lot since like, you know, since we live in two separate states. So, you know, getting those sky miles, you know, I fly with Delta, <laughs> just a silver medallion know, <laughs> um, So that's challenging um, in terms of we're both trying to be super organized and super efficient in our like Weekly to do list, like what do we have to do because we're going to be flying out and you know spending time with each other and that sort of thing. So it does does push you to be more organized and more you know just efficient in that sense. Um, we've learned a lot about communication since you're not like seeing a person face to face, you're not like reading their body language, you know. So you're learning like it's pushed us to you know be able to communicate better, like uh, you know on the phone or trying to, you know. There's always time for what's important in your life. Like people are like, oh, I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to do this. Well, if it's a priority, you make it a time. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just forced us to, you know, kind of be organized. Like, okay, you're doing this, this, and this. I'm doing this, this, and this. When's a good time to talk? So I think that's a, you know, it's definitely allowed us to be more efficient in that sense. Um, and I mean, there's days when. I'm, you know, all of this research stuff is going on. Like anyone, you can have a bad day. Um, you know, you're just kind of like, is this gonna work out? You know, like whatever project you're doing, and and so you know, my husband has been supportive in that. Like, you know, just do our thoughts. It's gonna be fine. Like, there's so much Shakti in our thoughts. You're, you know, just keep it moving. You know, yeah. It's so. <laughs> he. See,
2: he seems so proud of you. Like even just now, I. <laughs> And we keep doing it. We keep referring to you as an OBGYN, which actually I want to know your opinion on that. But Mm -hmm. I, we were saying OBGYN and he's like MFM. (laughs) He's like, she's an MFM, which is, you know, even higher than OBGYN. So Mm -hmm. he just seems so proud of you. But what is the like, do you care if somebody calls you an OBGYN or would you prefer MFM? I mean, MFM is probably the more
0: accurate title, but at the end of the day, I am an OBGYN. I have to keep up with the requirements every year and do the, you know, the the education credits, like continuing education credits that you have to keep up every year. So I still have to do that. So I am first a board certified OBGYN and then with the group the one day and the board certified MFM. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess MFM would be the more accurate title, but I'm not okay. offended if someone calls
1: me <laughs> an OBGYN. So, yeah. so since your husband is in Michigan, mm-hmm. um, are you planning to move there once um, you're working full time? Yes. So
0: um, the place where I signed a contract is in Michigan. So it'll be nice um, to finally be together at that point. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Um, what is uh, your day-to-day like as an OBGYN? gyn What kind of struggles do you see? What are mm-hmm. the good, the bad, all of that? Absolutely. So... Um- in fellowship, uh, um,
0: the day starts a little bit later, which is nice. Sometimes in the morning, we'll have conference. So we start at like 7 in the morning, educational type of stuff. And then usually the day starts at 8 o'clock. Um, right now, in my third year, a lot of my time is on the ultrasound unit. So we go in, we are scanning patients and doing ultrasounds and consults for patients, basically, from 8 to 5. Um, so... Sometimes it's just very routine. You're just checking things out, you know, and everything is great. But sometimes they're being referred to us because there's problems. There are issues. And, and that can be very stressful for the patient, you know, like especially being pregnant, you know, like these moms and just how much they care about this unborn child that they have, you know, like they have never met. The love that they have and then when you tell them that there's a concern sometimes, it's very nerve-wracking and can be very stressful for them. So that can be challenging. Um, So it just depends. Sometimes we'll have those type of consults, we'll have those type of appointments, some of them will be very routine. Um, And then... We take call, um, so I take call at least once to twice, um, a week and then one weekend a month. So, and being on call, it's nice. Like at this point, since we're primarily consultants for high risk pregnancy, um, so we, I can take call from home. So the residents can call me. Other people can call me at home. We can tell them like what to do. Our practice is unique in that we do come and deliver our own patients. Not all maternal fetal medicine doctors will deliver their own patients, but our practice does. So if there's somebody in our practice that needs to be delivered, um, comes in and, you know, labor, that sort of thing, then we go into the hospital to specifically deliver um, those patients. So
1: interesting. How do you deal with a tough day at work, like a day where you've had to tell someone that their babies? going to have um some abnormalities or Mm -hmm. just if someone's lost a child how what's your coping process
0: so um definitely i think talking about it kind of helps um so sometimes you're not able to because of all of the privacy stuff but like even with our own colleagues you know just us being able to talk about how a certain situation is is helpful um kirtan listening to kirtan just kind of is very meditative and just kind of helps you helps me like you know like kind of just release some of those feelings exercise as well kind of will get a lot of that you know that energy that angst out you know so those have been like some of the things that have kind of worked yeah
2: have you dealt with any crazy circumstances that kind of really really got to you
0: Um, I know you
2: can't, uh, confidentiality, there's like an issue there, but any like stories you can share with us? Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember um, taking care of a woman who was extremely overweight um, during her pregnancy. And sometimes those patients are um, transferred to high risk because these women are so large that a lot of other OBGYNs don't feel like they can handle the obesity, Mm -hmm. um, which can be a very risky situation in pregnancy. So and she was a very sweet woman was taking care of her the entire time. Um, you know, the baby, uh, was breech, as uh, meaning the feet were first. So we ended up having to do a C-section on her. Everything went really well. Um, and then like, I went on vacation after that, um, uh, for like a week and like on the last day on vacation and like one of my colleagues texted me and was like, Oh, she passed away. Oh and, God. you know, I was like, what the heck? Like, what happened? You know, was it a surgical complication? You, you know, you're always wondering, was it something I did? Was it something that could have been done better? Um, And she passed away from the flu. The flu can be very dangerous yeah. in pregnant women, which is why, like, we majorly advocate, like, the flu vaccine. Um, But she passed away from the flu. But the moments just hearing, like, you're so connected to the patient, she was extremely sweet. She was, like, you know develop that connection with us because she's like here are some doctors who are willing to take care of me regardless of my size you know and mm-hmm. um, and then to have that happen especially as a new mother and I, you know I met her mother and I met her partner as well and you know they were just so excited about this mm-hmm. new chapter first child and, and she recognized she had these health issues with her yeah. obesity and was like after this is done you know I'm going to go to a weight loss center I'm going to work on all this um, oh, oh, so yeah so that, that I will definitely, I will always remember that.
1: Yeah. And you've probably had cases where people have had multiple miscarriages or had a hard time conceiving. Yes. Um, What's that like? And as a doctor, how can you make someone feel okay Mm
0: -hmm. when they're
1: going through that? Um, just the
0: reassurance just like you know empowering them because a lot of people who have fertility issues a lot of times they'll feel like oh it's something that I did wrong it's something that's wrong with me and something you know the husband might feel it's something wrong with me Um, you know and when they have recurrent miscarriages just they're just like am I undeserving of pregnancy like why is the world like doing this to me like so many other people have healthy pregnancies um so i think the greatest thing is reassurance and just you know when these patients come in and they are pregnant just telling them like you're doing great you're doing everything you're supposed to they're like super anxious about am i taking the right pre- prenatal vitamin am i drinking enough water and so you know sharing with them the things that they are supposed to do and encouraging them and letting them know like you're doing a great job um, is absolutely um it h- is helpful and goes like a long way yeah
1: yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask, like, as a female doctor, mm-hmm. do you ever find that people question you because you're female or oh, ask to speak to a male doctor? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, there's been times where,
0: like, I walked into a room on labor and delivery and I'm not wearing my lab coat. I'm wearing my scrubs and people think that I'm the nurse, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, oh, well, can I ask the doctors? I am the doctor, you know? Um, but there are times, um, yeah, people think that, a a male doctor might know more um it's crazy it is even even these days um but you know you do your best and on the flip side some some people really like having a female physician because they feel like she will understand more you know just about what it's like being a woman you know your body changing you know um carrying a pregnancy that sort of thing so there are some people who say like i don't want a male physician you know mm-hmm. so though there's both on you know on both both ends but definitely in terms of you know um even in medicine and just growing up the ladder like to leadership positions and that sort of thing um it, sometimes it can be more challenging because people just feel like oh men might have more time they're not going to be as involved in like children and that sort of thing so kind of passing up the women to give men those opportunities instead
1: yeah I remember when we talked to Granish thing, he's a male nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to say male nurse, but I'm saying it because of the fact that he gets asked if he's a doctor. Uh, and when he's a female doctor, people think he's a doctor uh-huh. um, yeah. just because he's the male there. Right, right. And he's like, no, I'm the nurse. Yeah. She's the doctor.
0: Right. And that's so nice of him to, like, you know, kind of set that and, um, you know, just kind of set that tone and, you know, in the room as well. You know, that's, that's kudos to that person. So yeah. That's awesome.
1: Um, so where do you see yourself in a few years?
0: Um, so i I love education. I love um you know residency education so hopefully being involved in like the residents uh, teaching them and being involved in a bit of research. I'm not like a hardcore researcher, but I do like clinical stuff if like I observe something you know kind of to look into it and how can we make this a, a better practice um, but I would you know like to be involved and you know and potentially even in leadership um, in a couple of years but kind of see kind of still trying to put it all together <laughs> yeah
2: any personal goals
0: um yeah I mean there's so many things that I have like put on a list like oh after medical training like I definitely would love to travel more you know mm-hmm. um just to be involved with our sangha more um and just in terms of you know even working in like with residents and that sort of thing and like uh in in, in the residency program just propelling that and being involved in that and making like a helping to make a curriculum like going through residency there's always like you know when you're on your next stage of life you're like oh when i was when i did that i wish i had known that you know and so like being in fellowship i was like oh i wish i had known xyz when i was in residency so kind of going back and trying to build like some type of curriculum or something you know addressing different things in maternal medicine I think that's part of my long-term goal in terms of like just education like for the next generation there
2: yeah any place you want to travel in particular
0: oh just everywhere no (laughs) (laughs) um I, I haven't been to Europe well I've been to certain parts of Europe but um England has been something like on my definitely like a place that I want to go. There's so many, like Hawaii. Uh, so many sticks have been going to Hawaii. In March.
2: You're going in March? Are I've been. you? Yeah. It's
0: beautiful. Oh uh, yeah. People talk about how gorgeous it is, and people who don't like to travel even go there apparently and just love it so much. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, I definitely love to do that. But, yeah.
2: yeah. It's so expensive, but it's oh. so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's worth yeah. it. Treat yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So we like to do one thing with all of our guests where we ask them to complete, uh, uh, describe themselves in one sentence. So if you were to finish this sentence, Gore is, how would you answer that question?
0: Um, A sick American um, maternal fetal medicine specialist. Awesome.
1: Nice and simple. Yes. Yes, Simple. And we also have, um, we do the random five. So Uh basically we will ask you five questions and... Whatever comes to your mind in regards to them, you Mm -hmm. can definitely say. So to begin with, what's your favorite book? Oh,
0: so this is another (laughs) one. I, you know, I just recently got back into, like, reading um, non-medical textbooks. (laughs) I know. I didn't read any of the Harry Potter books or anything. my 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 nephews think, like, I'm such a disappointment. (laughs) Um, So I'm actually just getting back into that, um, and I... You know, someone asked me this the other day, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is so pathetic. I can't even. I can't think of what it would be." But I have to get back to you guys on that. What's your favorite anatomy book? (laughs) What's (laughs) my favorite anatomy book? Yeah, Um, I know. Like, uh, we won't say Netters. That's like the classic. uh, Mm -hmm. um, But. Gosh, um, Maternal Fetal Medicine um, Evidence-Based Guidelines has been up. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, check it out. Fantastic. Yeah, to all the listeners. Fantastic Check it out.
2: Yeah. What's your favorite quote or bonnie punctine? Oh, gosh.
0: Um, Something that always comes to mind is... there's two that i have always like when i'm down or i need some support one is okhi karina dekhnde apna vir small, haat de rakhe apne ko saas aas prat pale um the other one is ter karvaso har pyare sadgur tumre ek sware so like when you you know hard times come and just the those shops have just you know like it's going to be okay like my guru going to take care of you and you know gaide se theekojne just vishwas rakhna apni mehdh
1: so, yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, any weird quirks of yours that you'd <laughs> like to share? Oh, gosh.
0: Uh, lots of them, I'm sure. <laughs> we should ask Antejoa <laughs> My sisters as well. Um, oh, gosh. Let's see.
2: Hey, gosh, I don't know, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we can come back to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. If you could meet anyone in history, who would you want to meet?
0: Okay. Okay. Um, I think I'd like to meet Guru Amradashi, Ji, you know, I think that would be, there's quite a few Guru Amradashi, Ji, Sant Atar Singh Ji, Mastu Orne Waale, um, Sant Teja Singh Ji, um, definitely a few, My you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah.
2: Why Guru Amradashi? Ji?
0: Just uh, the Namrata, the Gribi, mm-hmm. um, just you know, and coming into Sikhi and just the amount of seva is in an older age, you mm-hmm, know, like mm-hmm. age should never be like a barrier or anything. But, you know, a lot of times with age, people think that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, but I think he just demonstrated a different level of humility and love and, you know, and all of that. Yeah. Extremely inspirational. I like that. Yeah. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Uh, oh, there's see this, this could be a couple So tardiness. I hate when people are late. Okay, Sorry guys, same. I was late myself. <laughs> we'll just blame no, your husband for yeah. that. There's always a 15 minute window. Yeah, a 15 minute window, anyway. but oh gosh, I, I hate it when, um, people are late. Um, I, and just, um, people who don't think about other people, you know, like one of the, it's always about them, you know, and how does a certain situation affect them, um, that. I, that just drives me bonkers like there's more than just you involved in the situation you know yeah. so yeah
2: Did you think of any weird quirks
0: oh gosh um i i'm sure i i, I do have a lot of them and just trying to think <laughs> which is uh, which should i say on the podcast but <laughs> <laughs> yeah you want the world to know um <laughs> gosh oh um... Yeah, guys, I can't think of anything. That's okay. (laughs) You're just not that weird. I know, I'm (laughs) extremely weird. Um,
2: Yeah. Um, So before we end off the podcast, is there anything you wanted to leave our listeners with?
0: Um... You know, a lot of times people do think that, oh, if you're following like a Sikh mark, like you can't do anything professional, but you actually have the tools to do that more so. um, Because Sikhi teaches us so much about discipline, you know, like discipline being waking up at Amrit Villa, living a certain lifestyle, um, which is the same thing that you need. Um, when you're pursuing something, like whatever it is, your passion is, you know, if you're disciplined, you're focused, you're kind of staying on the straight and narrow and just leaving out all of the distractors, like you can accomplish anything. And, you know, and don't let anyone, I, I had those people telling me like, Oh, you're a Mritari now, you know, like that, that's, you're not going to do anything else with her life um but don't like listen to the naysayers like having sakhi um and having the power of gurbani and just this identity will propel you so much further actually in all of those um, careers and and all of those goals so just believe in yourself and stay focused
2: yeah any i mean you're living proof of that that you don't have to um like, people, they do worry that when you start tying this thought, oh, my God, she's going to, like, start doing katha, She doesn't want to, <laughs> like, she doesn't want to pursue any the academics. career, yeah. yeah. And so you're living proof that that's not true. Mm-hmm. And if you do d- decide to pursue that, that's okay, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's not always yeah like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, thank you, fancy so much for sharing all of this thank with us. Guys. I learned a lot. Thank you, you guys, Me too. It was yeah. a really good <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Thank and you. you have a very, like, calming... Uh, yeah. what is it vibe aura. Uh, this is why she got the award <laughs> for, uh, for having good bedside manners oh, well, you guys <laughs> yeah very very, a, very nurturing oh, um, thank you aura yeah <laughs> thank you uh, thank you so much all right so we'll end the podcast here okay.
1: you've been listening to the experience Siki podcast